Well, hello to all Group Practice Accelerator podcast listeners. We thank you so much for being in the audience today. And if you're like me and listening on the day of release, it's Thursday, March the 17th, a day that we all know and love, and we would all agree should be a national holiday, right? No, I'm not talking about St. Patrick's Day. I'm talking about the one-year anniversary of Polaris Healthcare Partners. That's right. Polaris turns one today. And I want to take a quick second to thank all of you from all of us, especially myself and DeWalker, for the warm reception we received a year ago when we launched the business and the outpouring of support that we've received each and every day over the last 365 days Having you in the audience, having you as supporters, having you as clients and as third-party um, members of our tribe, so to speak, who've really made this journey uh, so worthwhile. I wanted to put out a word to everybody to say thanks from the bottom of my heart uh, and to Walker's heart, too, um, for being in our network and for really um, keeping us afloat for this first year. We're looking for great things to come. There'll be more great content to come, for sure. And we look forward to seeing you all hopefully in person very, very soon. Cheers, everybody. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to season two, episode 11 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one that I'm gonna call gaining three points of absolute clarity before selling your business. That's right, M&A markets are still red hot rolling out of 2021 and into 2022. It doesn't seem that the pace is abating at all. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to go on the journey to sell your business over the next couple of episodes. And we'll start digging into that on today's episode. It'll be a note-taking episode for sure. So grab a piece of pen, a piece of paper and a pen, get ready to take some notes, get your popcorn ready, as they say. And for our friends in Utah, grab an ice cold Coca-Cola beverage as we get ready for this episode. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Well, welcome everybody once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. And last episode was a tour de force. Hopefully everybody's had a chance to listen to Dr. Vivek Solanke uh, and his personal journey, his story through um, uh, acquiring half of a practice in Southern California, building up that business and ultimately exiting that business for all intents and purposes in 16 months. He's a an unbelievable guy. He's a great guy in and of himself, but also just a, a, a fantastic clinician and business person. And if that's, you know, maybe caused you to scratch your head a little bit to wonder about the possibilities and what um, might happen this year in the MA markets, or if this is the year for you to take some chips off the table, 
we're going to spend a couple of episodes trying to uh, orient you uh, in that direction, give you some things to think about, talk about some of our philosophies and the way that we work with clients, uh, but also dig a little bit deeper into the overall sell-side process. And what we're going to start with today is what DeWalker and I call three points of clarity. And before you even start the journey in, in a marketed sales process, before you really even engage an advisor, um, you want to think through a handful of things on your own, pretty much, or potentially work with an advisor to at least solve for some of these unknowns that I'm going to uh, unpack for you. But these are these are critically important. They're deeply personal. And you want to have absolute clarity on these three things that I'm going to share with you today. The first is something we call knowing your net walkaway number, uh, and most importantly, how to calculate it. And what does net walkaway number mean? Let's face it, all of us have heard about EBITDA volumes, EBITDA numbers, um, transaction multiples. Um, you know, the dollar values and transactions that the numbers will just make your head spin at, at some point in time. But just because a business sells for $20 million doesn't mean that the owner, uh, the seller, uh, put $20 million in their bank. It's really not that easy. And sometimes we find that people go through the journey to potentially sell their business and when the dollars start to materialize on paper after taxes, after advisory fees, after uh, paying off any uh, loans with the bank, there's not enough there there to make it worth their journey. And now you've invested a lot of emotional time, a lot of effort, a lot of dollars in terms of your advisory um, people to, to bring you to that point where you realize that the outcome isn't what you thought it was going to be. Um, and this is something that you, you really do want to spend time with up front. And so here's what I'm going to tell you um, about calculating it. You can do this on some napkin math if you want, um, but it's something that uh, we, we do with all of our clients in terms of uh, clarifying some outcomes. Uh, and, and what you want to think about is for you to make this type of a journey um, and, and go through the exit process, what's the dollar number that you want in your bank account? Free and clear of taxes, free and clear of advisory fees, free and clear of any debt that you have to pay off um, or, or anything else. The net number in your bank, what is that number? Um, and it could be different for a lot of people. The reason that you want to gain clarity on this is because taxes are, are going to be some blend of um, uh, depreciation recapture, long-term cap gains, um, and, and a lot of other considerations relative to what the government takes. Obviously, when you sell a business, it is your responsibility to pay off any remaining debt on that business. Uh, and then there are some fees to your accountant, your attorney, and your, your sell-side advisor um, uh, to get the deal done. And so you want to be really clear on what some of the estimates of those fees and payoff numbers uh, are, are going to be. Because if those, if the payoff numbers, especially if you're carrying a lot of debt on the business, eat up most of the proceeds, 
you could end up with a very nominal amount in your bank account that doesn't make it worth your while to do it. You'd rather know that up front, right? And the other thing is, if you feel like the transaction won't yield the outcome that you want, and, and you've done that, you've taken the time to reverse engineer the number and understand all those impacts, then you absolutely have to think about what you need to do to improve the business to get you to that point. So now it might be something where you say, look, I, you know, I'm I'm not going to end up with a net number that uh, that I want through the transaction in terms of cash proceeds. Uh, I need to work um, over the course of the next 12 months to improve uh, revenue, to, to grow revenue, to improve EBITDA uh, and efficiencies in the business to yield that outcome when I go to market in 2023. Um, and this is something that we do a decent amount of with our clients. Uh, in terms of those that come to us uh, with a sell-side intention. And we really try to get specific with them and, and educate them on the front end. And, and some of them elect to say, okay, let's not go to market now. Let's work on the business for a little bit, improve the business with the intent of taking it to market in a year or, or some period of time like that. There's obviously nothing wrong with that. You would rather know all of that up front before you get into a marketed sales process and before you get emotionally tied to the process. So it's really important to, to be able to calculate your net walkaway number and understand um, how you arrive at that and, and what the parameters around it truly are. The next thing you wanna think about that obviously impacts that net walkaway number is the transaction structure. And specifically, I'm talking about the difference in cash versus equity. Very rarely nowadays do, do we work with um, sellers where they want everything, uh, where they want the transaction 100% in cash. If it were a solo practice, that, that might be more understandable. Um, but all too often, our sellers believe in the validity of the buyer and and much like any other equity investment, be it in Google or Apple or you know a home or something like that, they would like a stake in the in that company's outcome on the second bite of the apple. So I think it's it's reasonable to expect and reasonable to conclude that you would end up with some amount in cash and some amount in equity that equals the total structure of the transaction. Now this is important for another reason: structure matters more than price all too often. And what you find is that structure influences price directly almost always. And the way to think about this is really more from a buyer context, honestly. So a buyer looks at buying your business. And if you want uh, the transaction to be 100% in cash, um, and you uh, you want no role in the uh, in the new entity post sale. You're going to retire essentially, um, and you want all the proceeds in cash. That shifts all of the risk onto the buyer. So now, integrating the business, operating the business, growing the business, and improving the business is all on the shoulders of the buyer. Um, obviously, a lot of them are very good at that but they would rather have a partner at a practice level, i.e. you, um, in terms of helping them do that versus having to, to go it alone. And when you take the entire transaction in cash 
it means they have to come up with, usually they have to come up with more cash out of their war chest and buy you out, but it also moves some of the, it moves all of the risk onto their shoulders. So we like to say that transactions are um, a balancing act between cash flows and risk. Who inherits the risk? Who owns the risk? Where do the cash uh, flows end up? And if all the cash flows are going out to you on an exit and the buyer owns all of the risk, they're probably not going to pay you as much for that. On the other hand, if this is a scenario where you say, look, I'd like to take about 60% in cash and roll about 40% in equity into the new co because I believe in what they're doing. I believe in the upside and the trajectory and where this business is going. I'd like to have a stake in the outcome. And I think if I roll a million dollars in equity into the, the new company, it could be as much as you know, two to three to $4 million upon exit in a couple of years time. That sounds like a pretty good investment to me. But when you're able to roll um, uh, more of the proceeds of the transaction into equity in the new company, that means the buyer has to come out of pocket with less cash on the transaction. It also usually means that there's some level of shared risk on the upside between you and the buyer. And in that context, um, it de-risks their position a bit. So it's reasonable to conclude that when more uh, of a transaction is uh, shifted toward the equity percentage, a buyer might be willing to offer a higher multiple and a larger transaction value overall, even though less of it is in cash. So this matters a lot to you depending on what your risk tolerance is. Do you want to um, uh, do you want to sell your business and and you know uh, play with some house money, so to speak, um, and roll some equity into that uh, new company, go along for the ride for a second bite of the apple, share in the upside together, or are you more risk averse and you want more of it in cash up front because you're potentially going to retire or exit in in pretty short order? Those are two significantly different transaction structures, um, and it it can mean something uh, significantly different to the buyer in this context. Along the same lines, I would tell you that uh, not all buyers are the same. No buyer is the same, actually. And if you're going to roll equity into that company, you want to understand all the rights and privileges that come along with that equity, or do you have voting rights? Do you have distribution rights? Do you have put and call rights? Where does it stack up in the cap table? Is there preferred equity somewhere and you're not part of it? Or is it all equal in the cap table? Uh, and those are those, those add different levels of risk along the way to you in terms of what your equity stake is and how it gets taken out uh, upon a recapitalization of the, uh, of the new company. So these are aspects where even when a buyer, excuse me, even when a seller comes to us and says, you know, hey, I'd like to roll uh, uh, up to 40% equity um, into the new company, we may get uh, transaction structures that are 60-40 cash to equity from multiple different buyers, but it doesn't mean that they're all priced the same and it doesn't mean that the equity is the same. So now the equity um, is, it's important to be able to discern the differences in buyer equity relative to what our sell side client wants. So just thinking through some along the lines of transaction structure and then allowing us to think through on your behalf 
what the ramifications are in terms of that equity in the parent company is uh, is critically important there. The third piece that's really important in terms of clarity for you to have that I, I touched on earlier is your role post-sale. Um, this one is, uh, is both personal and uh, professional as it relates to the buyer uh, in nature. So if you've built a successful group practice, you may still be working clinically um, one to two days a week. You may still be working clinically four days a week. Uh, you may love clinical dentistry, or you may um, want to, to leave the handpiece behind altogether. Um, you have been, without a doubt, you have been working in a leadership capacity in terms of building out that group, improving systems and processes, uh, growing acquisitions, recruiting associates, developing associates, improving EBITDA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You probably wear a lot of different hats in the group that you have built. I think it's really important for you to think through what you want your role to be post-sale and, and what you really love doing and what you're great at doing. And the reason that that's important is because if you want no role post-sale, you're exiting the business, uh, you're retiring or, or moving away or, or otherwise, like I mentioned before, that shifts some of the risk um, burden onto the, the buyer um, absolutely. But if yours is a desire uh, to take on a different role um, than what you've had up to this point, it's, it's important to understand what you want and your role to be. And it, it's also important to understand what you think you're really great at. What's your unique ability or your skill set that will be of benefit to the buyer? Because it's important for us to be able to position you in such a way that you are a, um, a significant catalyst to uh, the current business and the future business in combination with them. And if you're clear about that, it's also a point of negotiation. And that's something that you want your sell side advisor, a, a group like Polaris, um, to be really mindful of and being able to, to make sure that that uh, role post-sale is both clarified um, and documented on your, uh, what your role is going to be going forward. It could be that you want to remain clinical dentist. A buyer would love that. It de-risks their position and it maintains a productive capacity. That's all good might want to know what your clinical compensation rate is going in. So that's important to think about too, if you're going to remain with a handpiece in your hand and working at the chair. On the other hand, if you're going to be more of a, a business leader or a, a part of business development, is that um, by sourcing additional acquisitions, colleagues of, of yours from the local study club or from uh, dental school or something like that in a local area? Are you going to be the conduit to open up the front doors to talk about what a great transaction you had and and what a wonderful buyer the, the DSO is or the private equity group behind it and, and hopefully entice some people to follow your lead? Or are you going to be a recruiting arm for associates uh, or a development arm in terms of a chief clinical officer type of a role or chief dental officer type of a role? Uh, be it for that state or at a greater level in the organization. These are things really that you want to think through that are uh, much more subjective, I would say, for you. Um, but you want to, uh, you don't want to leave that loose end undone as you start going into the process, because these are things that your sell side advisor needs to know 
We need to be able to communicate it clearly on your behalf. And we need to court the right buyer for you that's going to allow you to spread your wings post-sale. And I would tell you that if you go into the process um, with eyes wide open and with these points of uh, clarity all but documented, you know, for you, or at least clear in your mind, you can communicate them well to your sell side advisor and your sell side advisor can communicate them very well and very clearly to a potential buyer. Um, you don't want to court the wrong buyer that's not willing to offer you what you want in terms of transaction dollars, transaction structure, or role post-sale. And suffice to say, there are a lot of people out there, I would say the vast majority, that do not um, sell their business and, and walk away outright. We have had that scenario um, multiple times, but I would say the vast majority um, are, are selling their business to bring on a partner, to take some chips off the table, certainly to put some money in their bank account, but also to be more of a catalyst to helping them grow and spread their wings on a larger footprint and create a greater opportunity both for themselves and for the buyer than what they could have created on their own up to this point. And, and if we're able to achieve that, then it really can be the, the best of all worlds for both sides. So hopefully this gives you a little bit of a clarity on, on some points to consider that are deeply personal in nature. And as you're thinking them through, these are conversations that you want to have with your sell side advisor early on. Like I said, uh, especially around the, the net walkaway number, we do that almost all the time for our clients uh, up front. And we do it for a number of clients um, even before they've entered the process. You know, everybody wants to know what do you think my business is worth? Um, and, and what do you think it would merit in terms of a transaction? And what might the structure look like? And obviously, there are a lot of moving parts and pieces to that, but I would encourage you to reach out to us if you're curious about that or if you're contemplating potentially going to market, because this is something that um, uh, you want to have uh, crystal clarity around. Um, because once you get too far into it, you've got emotional capital invested and it's really hard to undo it. And we don't want anybody, at least we don't want any client of ours to ever feel like they're going through a sell side process and it's waving the white flag or capitulating or, or anything like that. This should be, um, a great experience, uh, that should reward you, uh, immeasurably. Um, and it should reward you, um, with both dollars in your bank account, the transaction structure that you obviously want, especially as it relates to an equity role, and what you want life after liquidity to be for you, um, you can achieve all of those if you work with the right group along the journey. But things to think about before you even start, and we tend to reverse engineer almost everything we do. So hopefully this gave you um, uh, some insight into the way we think about things and some things that you can think about before you even start the process. Suffice to say, there'll be um, a lot more uh, information coming uh, over the upcoming episodes as we dig into more of um, the sell side and, and the process and the journey behind a marketed sales process. But this will get um, uh, some juices flowing, hopefully, on your end. Well, thanks again for joining me on today's show. I do hope you're finding um, uh, these 
episodes to be thought-provoking and educational in some way. And, and I, I really appreciate the um, questions we get from our audience um, around a lot, of, uh, a lot of these different aspects, especially as it relates to sell-side advisory. We probably get what it feels like one to two um, inquiries on a daily basis. Um, the M&A markets are white hot right now, and, and I think it's important to have eyes wide open as you contemplate going through a process. I would also tell you not to be in a hurry to do that. We certainly feel like the market is really good, even with rising interest rates. Um, but you know, this is not something you should rush into prematurely. Um, I think multiples will stand up for, for a good little while here. So I think you're in a good space, and obviously we welcome the opportunity to take on any more calls that um, you have in terms of inquiries about this general process or how to think through it or anything along those lines. I did, before I wrap up today's show, I did want to talk about um, our next masterclass, which uh, is going to be on April 20th, excuse me, 21st and 22nd. That's a Thursday and a Friday. And it's going to be on uh, mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations again. This will be the third time we've rolled through this class. And I've got to tell you, um, we had nine clients in um, uh, last month um, for a, an MA&A class. A wonderful group discussion. Uh, we had clients from Hawaii to Santa Barbara, California, to Kansas, to Florida, uh, to Utah, um, all over. Um, and some of them were pediatric, some of them were multi-specialty, some were all under one roof, some were traditional general dentistry. Uh, really, really interesting dynamic amongst the group. Uh, and that makes it fun on a, a bi-directional conversation, sort of collaboration type of an aspect. Um, but the, the ratings we got back on it were, were tremendous. And, and I think there's so many people building groups right now, um, and, and the vast majority of them are growing through acquisition that this, uh, this type of a, a course really does uh, fall in the wheelhouse of a lot of the people building successful groups. If you go through... Um, the process of refining the tools in your toolbox, and you understand how to use different transaction structures differently for different targets, you can, you can play a different game than some of what your competition is doing. You need to really think along the lines of yourself as an enterprise-level DSO and not as a, a small-time doctor-led group. Um, we want you to play the game at a higher level, we want you to have more tools in your toolbox. We want you to have more success, generally speaking, in terms of acquiring or affiliating or merging with other groups in your area. And, and the, the mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations masterclass has been a tremendous amount of fun. And I think the content has been really, uh, um, really impactful for the people who've chosen to uh, spend a couple of days with us in, in Charlotte. So if you're up for that, um, the next uh, class, like I say, is April 21st and 22nd. Feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we will be doing additional classes coming up once again on the de novo execution, um, which uh, was a, a very well-received class uh, also in March. Uh, and then we are going to do one on C-suite financial analysis and key metric reporting for all of you. Um, uh, uh, financial analysis hounds and and data geeks out there. Uh, we're going to uh, slice and dice uh, the way that a, uh, a C-suite uh, leader would interpret financial statements and how to think through the key metrics that drive your business. Stay tuned for some of that. There'll be more to come. 
Well, today's episode was a, a lot of fun for me, um, and and I really appreciate you joining me on it. Uh, I also appreciate all the the nice compliments that we get on the podcast. It really does mean a lot to me and to Walker. We do make a, a concerted effort to put forth good content, and I appreciate all of you being in the audience. If you've got a question, feel free to submit it to me directly at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. You never know when I might read it and answer it on the air. Or I'll surely respond back to you directly. You can obviously find out more about us off of our website at www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.